Hello. I don't have an intro. <laughs> I'm Savannah. Not Malisha. This is Burden of Proof. How are you? Good. Are you excited to get to the bottom of this mystery? I am. I've been sitting on the edge of my seat. <laughs> so we are here today to do part two of Bell Gunness. Yes. Um, and I'll give you a little recap before we start. Do we have any business before we begin? I have one thing that I want to say. Yeah. I want to thank all of our listeners for yes. listening. And we've had like listeners across many countries. Mm-hmm. But I've noticed we're kind of developing a trend of top countries. Yes. You know, instead of just a few here, a few there. And I'm really excited about the fact that it's the UK and Canada and Australia. Yeah. And Ireland. Shout out to our Australian listeners. You guys are bonkers bananas. You're here every week. We see you. We love you. So it's just crazy to me to think like people across the world are listening to us. Yeah. Message us on Facebook. We'll talk to you. (laughs) Yes. We'll be happy to. Absolutely. So So that's it. That's all I got. Shout out to Podbean. We've been featured for almost a month, over a month now on Podbean. So that's been amazing. Mm -hmm. We appreciate all the recognition. Yeah. Uh, Last month was a really good month for Burden of Proof. So we're excited to see what the rest of the months bring. Absolutely. All right. So let's do a little bit of a recap for Bell Gunnis. Yeah. So where we left off, Isle. It's A-S-L-E. I don't know how else you want me to say that. <laughs> yes. Isley, Isle, um, was Andrew's brother, Andrew Helgeline. Remember, right. he was the last person at Bell's house. So Isle discovered that his brother was missing and he hadn't heard from him in quite some time. And he went on a little hunt. He found um, the letters right. that Andrew had left behind where he had, at his last location where he'd been staying indicating that he was going to go and see a Balgunis in LaPorte, Indiana. Right. So he decided that he was going to write back to Bell and say, yo, where's my brother? Because Mm -hmm. you clearly were the last person. Like this, these letters talk about him taking everything he has and coming to Indiana. Is that what happened? So obviously, Bell can't deny that Andrew was at the farm, right? Because he has the letters and then he went missing. So she decided that she was going to tell Isle, um, yeah, Andrew came, but then he abandoned me. He decided he was going to go search for one of their brothers who had become a professional gambler and then run off a few months prior. So they knew he was kind of heading towards Aberdeen, but they weren't sure exactly where. And Andrew decided he was going to go look through Chicago and New York to find his brother. And then if his brother wasn't in Chicago or New York, he was going to go track him down in Norway because he was Norwegian. Right. Okay. So, according to Bell, he said that he was, that Isle said he was going to go look for Andrew and that she shouldn't write him back until he responded and told her that he was at some place where he would be for a while. Kind of how letter writing works, you know? Yeah. And that's all she would say about her interactions with Isle and Andrew Helgeline. Okay. So, he's on the hunt for Andrew. In the meantime, let's get back to Ray Lamphere. We left Ray after he had blatantly denied Bell's orders and come home a night early from an errand doing a horse trade. Right. Well, shortly after that, the two of them had a blowout fight. We think it's something related to pay, but it's difficult to say because their stories are so different. Either way, Ray leaves the farm, either by choice or by force. 
And he goes and speaks with a lawyer who tells him that he should immediately return and get his stuff from the house because he was yeah. living. There was a room on the second floor that was dedicated to the farmhands at the time. Okay. But by that point, Bell had actually already replaced Ray with a new farmhand named Joseph Maxson. Um, and he will come into play later in the story. He's a really important person. And I feel really bad for him in the way that this whole thing turns out. So when Ray shows back up to the farm and sees Joe, Belle decides that she's going to drive him away and she files a claim against him for stalking, harassment, and trespassing. So he went to trial for those charges. He did not have any legal representation this time and he was found guilty. Um, he was charged a dollar in fines and also ordered to pay court costs. Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Bell's response to this verdict was to then go and file an affidavit basically stating that Ray was crazy. Oh, how nice of her. Yeah. So um, the timeline on like this whole chain of events is a little murky, but that happened next. According to the document, which was a questionnaire, she had basically gone to the sheriff and an attorney and was like, I want to say that he's crazy. So they gave her like a questionnaire about insanity and um, she wrote in it by hand, obviously. Yes. The first signs of insanity that she saw, the first signs in December of 1907 when he, quote, he told me things that I knew were not true and unreasonable. So that makes you insane. She then said that he was, quote, silent, melancholy, restless, seclusive, dull, profane, filthy, intemperate, sleepless, and criminal. Those were her adjectives. Hmm. Well, tell us how you really feel, Bella. I know. So Ray's long-term doctor. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Dr. Bo Bowell. <laughs> Is he a gastroenterologist? <laughs> um, I don't think that he specialized, no. Yeah, I don't um, know that there was yeah. that specific of specialties back I then. But it could be Bowell or Bowell. True. But it's much True. funnier if it's Bowell. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to say Bell. Um, he would later testify that he'd actually been treating Ray for years and he, that he had never treated him for anything related to his mental health and that he didn't consider him to be a threat or a, po- a problem. So, yeah. Take that with what you will. Go Dr. Bow. Mm, sure. Oh. <laughs> or not. I don't know how I feel about Ray. We'll see how you feel at the end. Okay. Um. So Ray was brought before a three-person insanity committee and they said, quote, We find the patient to be quiet, clean, and neat. He is slightly nervous. His memory is good for recent and remote events. Speech is intelligent and coherent. Ray Limfear is not insane. Fair. Okay. Yeah. So legally, he's all good. He's Gucci. Right. Well, this did not please Hell's Princess, Belle Gunness. No, no, no. Nay, nay, she says. She said he's crazy. So she decided a few weeks later to have him arrested for trespassing. Around the same time that he was arrested, I'm pretty sure it was the same day. It's hard to tell. A lot of this stuff happens. Like, you'll you'll notice one thing will happen. It will trigger her. She will do something crazy. Yeah, there's those narcissistic yeah. red flags again. Exactly. <laughs> so the same day, Isle wrote back to Belle asking if she could send him a letter that she had preferred, referred to previously. The one saying that he was going to go look in Chicago for his brother because she said that he had left a note and like took off or something. I don't know exactly. Yeah. But he said, you mentioned there was a letter where he told like you his to plans. I want to see it. Can yeah. you send it, please? Here is her response. She said the letter was stolen. 
So I'm going to just I'm going to read the direct quote because it's I can't even paraphrase. Okay, cool. I (laughs) it was stolen. Also, before I read the quote, the quote is from Bell. But what I'm going to say is most of the quotes are from I used two primary sources for this case. If I quote anything, it's most likely from the book. And then later towards the end of the episode, it's from the other source. Okay. I don't remember. I think it was um, like Legends of America was the other source or something like that. Got it. So everything is just those two sources. Super easy to find what I'm talking about. Quote from Bell about the letter being stolen. A man named Liam Fear, who worked for me for a while. This Liam Fear began to find so many things to talk about until at last they arrested him and they had three doctors examine him to see if he was sane. They found him not crazy enough to put in a hospital, but perfectly sane. He is not. He is now out under bonds and is going to have a trial next week. But one thing I am sure of is that in one way or another, he has taken the letter from Andrew he had sent me. You see why I'm having trouble reading this? Um, Others have told me that Lamphere was jealous of Andrew and for that reason troubled me this way. So again, English, not her first language. Um, I literally had to follow along with my finger because I kept getting lost. (laughs) So sorry, that was a little blocky, but... Yeah, she basically said that she had received the letter from Andrew, put it down on the table, gone to go get a glass of milk from the fridge, and turned around, and it was gone. So Ray had stolen it, obviously. Makes total sense. Yeah. All because he was jealous of Andrew, which he probably was. Because remember, he was yeah. up all up in Belle's grill in her bed, and then Andrew showed up, and she was like, go sleep in the barn. Yeah. So, and he wasn't allowed to talk to Andrew. Like, I... I you know, he probably was jealous. If you haven't listened to part one, this makes no sense. Like so make sure you go listen to that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, still. Exactly. So Ray's trial for trespassing began, and he actually had an attorney this time. When Bell testified, his attorney essentially battered the witness. Like, not going to lie, if I was the judge, I would not have allowed this either. Because technically, it didn't have anything to do with the crime of trespassing, and it was, like, all leading questions, and it was kind of passive-aggressively aggressive, you know? Yeah. So, it... Them showboat attorneys. Yeah. So, the cross-examination included very leading questions about her first husband's death, about Peter Gunnis's death, and even one extremely passive-aggressive question about her first daughter, Jenny, who had been sent off to... Um, Norway seminary yeah. school in California. I remember a professor yeah. came and escorted her to school in California two years ago. Accepted he. So <laughs> um, he, he literally said, um, so when is your daughter returning? Like he was so <laughs> passive aggressive about it, but implied after the other questions to the court that she may have had something to do with her daughter's disappearance. Yeah. The judge was like, this is insane. You can't do that. It's literally called badgering, badgering a witness. True. It's, you can't do it. But if it gets the attention of the right people to investigate, I'd, I'd do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you're not an attorney. <laughs> that is true. So, but for anybody watching, they did see how a very calm and determined bell turned into a freaking out panicky bell. Yeah. Someone had caught on to her crimes. Isle had caught on, this attorney had caught on, and she wasn't safe anymore. Lamphere was found guilty of trespassing, because he likely was. Um, yeah. and he was ordered to pay a fine of $5 plus cost, which was a total of $19.01. $19.01. 
which his current employer, a farmer named John Wheatbrook, actually paid for him. So nice. Yeah. But Belle decided she wasn't done yet. You haven't seen the last of me, well, Ray no. Fear. Narcissists always need the last word. Yeah. And so less than a week later, she had him arrested for trespassing again. What? During his time in the county jail for this arrest, he received a letter from Isle. We don't know what that letter was. Well, we might. I don't. Somebody might. Okay. I don't. But I'm assuming it has something to do with him asking, hey, do you know where my brother went? Yeah. Not sure exactly, though. At Ray's next trial, Belle and her daughter Myrtle, who was 11 at this point, testified that Ray was prowling around their property again and that they had to chase him from the pig pen. But the story that they were telling was proven false because he was at work with his new employer and several people could testify that he was busy at the time. Uh-oh, Bella. She also said that, like, when they chased him out of the pig pen, he, like, cut a hole through their fence and then pulled a post out and ran away with the post. <laughs> so, obviously, he wouldn't have the post, which would make him not guilty. So, why would you put something in your story that's tangible evidence? Because that's what narcissistic lying is like. They, when they lie, they lie so specifically. Again, I'm, I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist. <laughs> but... I have known enough narcissists <laughs> as well as read up on enough. Um, yeah. So from what I have read, they lie very specifically. Mm -hmm. They like overcompensate with their details. Basically, the idea is that the person hearing the story will go, there's no way they're lying about this. This is yeah. such a crazy story. There's just no way that it's yeah. a lie. Well, because normal people, when they lie, they try not to give so many details because then there's more for you to remember and sort out, you know. Yeah. So you try to just give a blanket, like, quick statement. That's not how narcissists think. That's interesting. Definitely interesting. She said a lot of those red flags because she definitely does that. So, yeah. Again, found innocent. He was acquitted. And she had to pay um, the cost because nice. obviously he didn't do it. So. Soon after, Belle um, was in a cafe in town that she was at quite frequently, and she began lamenting about her troubles with Ray to her regular waitress. And her waitress is quoted as saying, she told me that she feared he would someday set fire to her home and buildings, and that he would murder her and her children. So. Can I guess what happens next? No, you cannot. <laughs> So now we're going to focus on one specific day for a second because a lot of these days were kind of mishmashed. Um, on April 27th, 1908, Joe, the new farmhand, goes into the house to find the children very distraught. They said that they were given a beating by their mother because they tried to go into the cellar. And she told them, don't go where you're not wanted. I told you not to go down there. And she gave him a, a whooping. A whooping. Um, and he said, well, had she told you before not to go into the cellar? And they said, yeah, but we forgot because we're kids. So mother disciplining her children. Don't beat your kids, please. Oh, my gosh. But. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Kids use I forgot all the time. Yeah. I mean, and they genuinely do because they're little brains. They got little brains. But yeah. So <laughs> they that's. Don't, they don't actually. But <laughs> <laughs> but they have the attention span of a gnat. So. so 
So that's what Joe walked into. He went out to go do his work. And Belle actually later that day drove into town. She found an attorney and she said, I live in fear that Ray will one day burn down my home. It's not a direct quote. I'm just. Now can I guess what happens next? <laughs> no, not yet. Okay. <laughs> and so she decided she wanted to get her last will and testament in shape in case one day she died. Of course. Her So basically, here's a quote. It says, her property, both real and personal, to her three children, Myrtle Adolphine Sorensen, Lucy Bergliat Sorensen, Philip Alexander Gunnis, providing that in the death of any of said children without issue before her death, the survivor is to inherit the whole of the property, and provided also that in the case of the death of all, tre- all three of said children without issue, the whole property should go to the Norwegian Children's Home of Chicago. Yes. I have a question. Yes. Why isn't Jenny listed in the will if she's just away at college? She then went and bought all three <laughs> children a present. She bought them like a cake and a doll and a train for Philip and a large amount of groceries and also a lot of kerosene. <laughs> um, yep. So. Okay. The, <laughs> the last scene that Joe sees that day is Belle playing with her three children They're all having a grand time. They had a great dinner. She made a feast. And he said it was a really happy and typical evening in the Gunnis home before he headed to bed to be up in the morning to do the farm work. Right. A little while later, he um, went, obviously he went to sleep and he thought he woke up to Belle cooking breakfast and that the flapjacks were burning, except... My biscuits are burning. (laughs) My biscuits are burning, except it wasn't the flapjacks. And um, he woke up and he saw that the entire home was on fire. Yep. So some people say he was in his underwear. Some people say he pulled on some overalls. Whichever's funnier <laughs> to you. I was like, does um, it really matter? It doesn't because the poor this poor guy, like he gets he gets the short end of the stick. I mean, he could be dead, but he's not. So I guess it's a little bit of a long stick, yeah. but mostly it's pretty short. Um, he threw some of his important things into like a little bag and jumped out the window. He stashed the stuff on a like cart or a buggy and then tried to go back in to save Belle and the kids. But mm. he had tried to like break his way in through with an axe, but unfortunately everything was on fire. He took a step back and the whole roof caved in. Like where he was just sleeping caved in. Oh wow. Yeah. It was terrifying. So this was all around four o'clock in the morning, pretty important to say. Yeah. The neighbors woke up, saw the blaze, and their teenage son got on his bike, and he said he was going to go see if people were awake. It might be too late. It was a very old-timey quote. Yeah. It's because he's just on his bike. (laughs) Sorry, I'm being a dick. But I could just imagine if he's got his little cap on, he's like, Ma, I got to go see if the people are awake. It's I can't. Anyway, he was doing a really good thing. I'm not trying to diminish that at all. It's just funny to me because this is old-timey. It's fun. But it was, of course... Very much too late. And all of their surrounding neighbors came and even got into one of the bedrooms, but there was nobody there. Um, The mattress was bare. There were no sheets on the bed, which was kind of weird. And they ended up sending one of them to go into town to alert the sheriff about, hey, the Gunnis Farm's on fire. Like, what can we do? What should we do? Um, Yeah. And they they used one of the Gunnis' horses and the horses were really scared because of how big the fire was. That made me sad. Sad. So the townspeople started gathering to witness the horrifying scene because you see a big fire, you want to look at the big fire. Yeah. And people have always loved gruesome things. True crime's not new. So you'll see that a lot in this case. 
Once they were able to go inside and investigate, they quickly ascertained that it had to be an arson. And they said so because the cellar had been on fire and apparently it was too cold for the cellar to be on fire without it being arson with kerosene. Yeah. Okay. I wish I had more information about that process. I don't. Um, I mean, that just makes sense yeah. without an accelerant. Yeah. So there were two groups. One that was on the lookout for Ray because obviously they said arson. That's the suspect. And that's what Bella's been so scared of. She's been terrified. And then the other group picked up all of their pitchforks pitchforks and pickaxes and decided they were going to search through the rubble for the four people who lived in the home. As they were digging, I just want to kind of paint the picture for you. It's this massive farmhouse and all of the coals are still steaming. So it's really hot as they're like searching through everything. And they were being pretty rough because they're trying to be fast. Yeah. Because A, if somebody's still alive, you want to get there as fast as you can. B, you're hot and it's dangerous. So go. Um, And they were being pretty rough until one of them hit something soft. They decided, they said, okay, well, let's just be careful. And then a few moments later, the man who originally hit it kind of took a step back and he said, here they are. Hmm. They found a scene where apparently it looked like Belle had been trying to escape with her children. And the newspapers of this time, like, don't hold back on the graphicness of the scene. Um, I'm not going to describe in detail the conditions of the children's bodies and their final moments um, because the the narrative that the newspaper and the reporters kind of spin is really gruesome. And these are kids and just my, don't feel right to me to do that. So, yeah. Yeah. So, but they were all there. They were all there. Bella. Yeah. Is so it Belle or Bella? It's Belle. Belle. Sorry, I've been yeah. saying Bella. That's okay. I just well, her name was also Bella, as we mentioned oh, in yes. part one. She, she changes went, it. Yeah. But yeah, I just picked one. So yeah, Belle's body was there, but it was missing something. What? She didn't have a head. Oh my God. She was also missing about a foot of her height. Oh, my God. And a significant portion of her weight. Um. (laughs) And they never found her head. I'm going to leave it there. So, Ray, (laughs) they went looking for Ray, and (laughs) she's still processing. I am. I... I, Would you like to say what that means? Well, I mean, on one hand, that's not what I expected. Okay. Okay. Good. That was I good. expected yeah. that her children would be found and she disappeared. Okay. But because I'm questioning like the whole will and the whole like where's the stuff go if you disappear. But I didn't expect there to be, you know, a yeah, body. But, but she was shorter than she was when she died. No, I know. That's what I mean. But I'm questioning. Then my next thought is, okay, so you made it look like you died and you took off. Where do all your assets go? Then my then my paralegal brain kicks in and goes, wait, you can't like claim all this stuff anymore because people think you're dead. Yeah. So what was the purpose? Cool. We'll see. Okay. So uh, Ray wasn't missing. He was at work. <laughs> he uh, so they found him. And when they found him, the f- he asked blatantly, did the children and the woman get out of the fire? When asked if he knew about the fire, he said, well, I I saw the smoke, but it wasn't any of my business, so I didn't do anything. The reality was he was busy the night of the fire. But 
he didn't want to say anything about where he was because he knew, A, if he said something about the fire, they would instantly blame him. And B, he didn't really want people to know where he was that night. So I'm going to pause and we're going we're gonna to zoom out and we're going to give some context because this is Indiana in the United States in 1908. Okay. I got genuinely nauseous reading the section of the book. This is part of the reason I'm not even sure if I want to tell people to go read the book because it's pretty gross. Yeah. But obviously, this is the United States in 1908. It was incredibly racist. And Indiana was a front runner of bigoted and racist behavior. They had the largest chapter of the KKK, an overwhelmingly white and racist population. And I just want to say that Alicia and I are both strong public allies with the black community. And this is gross. Um, but I just wanted to address part of the fact of this case as to why he lied about where he was and knowing about the fire. Yeah. So if you want more information about the horrors of Indiana at this time, please do your own research. Again, not sure if I should recommend the book I read because I wasn't super pleased with how it handled the racism in the story. But, you know, beggars can't be choosers when it comes to research on mysterious serial killers. So, well, yeah. Um, Ray was sleeping in the home of a woman named Elizabeth Smith at the time of the fire, who happened to be one of the only black women in town. When she was younger, she was known to be beautiful, and many of the hypocritical men had slept with her or raped her while all being incredibly racist. So, there are some stories that say Ray didn't want people to know he was with Elizabeth. There are some other stories where that people say that, well, Ray was in the pub, and he was bragging about sleeping with Elizabeth because... At the time when he was with Elizabeth, she was very old. She was not middle-aged. She was not elderly. She was old. <laughs> like 80s or 90s old. Oh. Yeah. Like a like bag of bones old. So. Why? Yeah. And, and she had been through some horrible things in LaPorte. Um, I'm sure. This was not a happy home for her. So, yeah, some people said that he was quiet about it. Some people said he was bragging about it. Either way, we know that Ray has a thing for older women. <laughs> because remember, he's like 11 years younger than Belle. Oh, yeah. So he's just got some mommy issues. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Even, if, even if that's the case, that's not the status quo, especially at this time mm -hmm. when it was more, much, much, much more common for older men to be with younger women, mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense to me that he would brag about it even if he was really impressed with himself because he likes older women. I don't know. But who knows? Who knows? We know that at some point they did sleep together, but whether or not they had been having sex at this point, we don't know. Either way, she testified that basically he came to her house and said that he needed a place to stay. She said that she allowed him to sleep at her house and she knows that he was there until 4 a.m. because he had set his alarm for 3.30, like the clock, slept through it. Right. And she woke up at 4 and said, yo, Ray, it's 4 o'clock. And he says, I'm supposed to already be at John's place by now. And he takes off to work. I think that's exactly how they talked back then, too. Yo, it's 4. <laughs> A 90-year-old woman <laughs> in the early 1900s. Yeah. Yo, Ray. Yo, Ray. <laughs> your alarm. <laughs> you slept through your alarm, man. The reason that the race is important at this time period in America is because now he was unreliable as a suspect to them. Yeah. The whole city was basically determined that he was the one who had done this. 
So Ray was charged and held without bond, and the family of Belle started coming into town. Mm. Nellie, her estranged sister, yes, with the daughter, came, and so did Jenny's oldest sister. So when Jenny was adopted, remember, she was part of the Olsen family, and she was given to Belle as a baby when her mom passed away. Right. She had older siblings, and one of her siblings kept in contact with her. Um, so she hadn't heard from Jenny in two years when Jenny said she was going to Norwegian Seminary in California, but she heard that either that, that Jenny was going to be home for the funeral. And also there was rumors that Jenny was coming home to visit at that point in time anyway. So A, she wanted to see her sister and figured, okay, she'll be there for the funeral. And B, she was worried that maybe she had come home early and had been in the fire. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So she made her way to Laporte. Isle Helgeline also made his way to Laporte. When he arrived, he joined the search through the rubble. Um, They were supposed to be looking for Belle's head at this point because they still couldn't find any proof of her head. Yeah. But he was secretly looking for Andrew. Yeah. Because he's had his suspicions. He asked Joe the hired hand who was very deeply involved in the recovery efforts, if he knew of any other holes dug on the property. Poor Joe's just like, yeah, but why? Everything was on fire. Um, but he led him to the rubbish holes that were dug near the um, hog pits, where they were like, oh, man, this smells really bad. But it's like a trash pit, so it's kind of supposed to smell pretty rough. Yeah, but... Well, they kept digging... I don't know how he got them convinced to dig. I don't I don't know. I don't know if maybe the whole property was on fire, not just the house or like what it was. I don't know the the how close the hog pits were to yeah. the house. I don't know. But any somehow they started digging and they hit something and they pulled out a gunny sack and inside there was a man's arm. Hmm. So they kept digging. And they found in several bags of rotten remains um, that the man had been separated at the arms, the legs, the torso, and the head. And Isle's search finally ended when he pulled out his brother's head and identified him. Because he hadn't been dead that long and he recognized some of like his scarring and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously this was horrifying. And when the news broke, the public was so drawn to the house. There were hundreds of people watching as they dug through everything. Yeah. All the time. People would like leave school. There was a medical school that like let they like were really strict and they never let their kids out of school and they let them out to go watch the recovery efforts. There were people selling things. I think I mentioned it later. Like that they found on the farm. It was rough. Oh my gosh. So they begin to dig through many different areas on the farm and they found a ton of remains, watches, and also heads. They turned the little buggy shed where she kept her horse-drawn buggy into kind of a makeshift morgue. Fun. And on May 5th, 1908, which would have been her 18th birthday, they recovered the butchered body of Jenny Olson, who had supposedly gone to seminary school two years prior. She had been cut into five pieces and thrown into a hog pit. I mean, not surprising, but still. Later, they find the guy who was supposed to be sending her back, like the professor who came to escort her to school. Because there was somebody, somebody did show up. 
Oh my God. I just thought either he was made up or he was like in on it. No, he came. That's terrible. He was there. I can't believe somebody didn't come looking for him. I don't know. Like from the school. I don't know. So obviously they start talking to Ray because they're like, yo, dude, what? There's all this, uh, there's all these bodies. Yeah. What happened? And Ray explained that he had seen some things, but apparently they were more serious than he thought. Well, Ray, I'm not going to say that you're the brightest because there were a lot of signs. Yeah. A lot of signs. He recalled the times that she had him buy rat poison and chloroform and all the trunks that he moved full of people's things and the room full of like luggage. So in an effort to understand, because remember, they're just pulling out bodies after bodies after bodies. Like they identified the kids, Andrew and Jenny, Mm -hmm. and then they just kept coming. What? Yes. Like, remember, she had all of these men coming in and they just kept pulling out remains. Tons of them. They found like a box full of more than one body. It was really bad. So people started trying to find a reason for all of this because this poor, like this well, this widow couldn't have done all of this by herself, right? So obviously she was definitely the last stop in a crime ring. Right. And like she was just the body dump. She's just a little woman. She's she just... five foot ten, 280 pounds, and she ran a farm, guys, by herself with like some help, but not a lot. Yeah. Right. She's a beast. She was an ox of a woman. Well, um, even if she wasn't, she was using poison and chloroform. It's, so, it's not like she was a ninja warrior. <laughs> yeah. They just couldn't imagine, like, they thought it was, like, a Norwegian gang or, like, human trafficking or something. Somebody oh, wow. thought maybe she was a baby farmer, you know, like, baby farmers who took babies and, like, yeah, yeah made money. Well, I could see her doing that, but. Yeah, I could, too, honestly. <laughs> and some people say she was, and there was, like, a little bit of proof that she was, but I didn't get super into it. So, not shocked. Again, they, like, the public was goggling at everything like they were letting their kids go and look like one person sold a dead dog or cat and said that it had lived on the gunness farm and they sold it for like a lot of money and they were auctioning off their dog and their horse and like stuff like that yeah they were just capitalizing off of this i love how we today tend to think if you don't know like real history Mm -hmm. like the nitty-gritty stuff we tend to like Put on rose-colored glasses like, oh, people just didn't do things like that back then. Oh, but they did. <laughs> yeah, they, oh, but did. they did. Yeah. 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 So people also started to come forward and say that they had almost gone to see Mrs. Gunnis. Like, there were people who were like, oh, my gosh, I was writing to this woman. Yeah. So there's so much information about the search for the bodies and all of the theories, but I'm trying to keep it into two parts. So let's switch gears here and talk about the story of Ray Lamphere. So he pleaded not guilty. He found a good defense attorney and he he started prepping for his trial. So my main source material, the book is called Hell's Princess, The Mystery of Belgunis, Butcher of Men. It's by Harold Schechter. Half of the book covers his trial. So um, if... I'm going to just cover some of the highlights. There's so much here. If you want more, you can either read the book or let me know and we'll do like a little mini-sode covering it. Um, But I decided to just kind of cover the main hot topics um, because this is already a long episode. 
Yeah. So also the good news is most podcasts that cover this case don't cover any of his trial. They stop here. So well, yeah, because it's kind of it's kind of one of the stories though that it's about her. Yeah. But how do you tell her story without telling part of his? Which you can. Yeah. But. I'm the kind of person that when I hear stories and there's like this person that mm-hmm. seems really important, I realize like, oh, well, this isn't their story, but I want to know. Yeah. I want to know more exactly. about that person. Exactly. So the prosecutor started and he spoke very clearly. He didn't use a lot of metaphors as he started to give the facts about Ray and Bell. They accused him of knowing or witnessing Andrew's murder and being involved in other deaths. And the arson and death of the four Gunnis family members. They used the fact that the night of Andrew's death, Ray was back at the Gunnis home despite having an excuse to be out of town. And this indicated that he knew what was going to happen and was involved. They insinuated that he knew about the fire um, and that apparently at other times had said to people, well, I can get the old widow Gunnis to do whatever I want because I have something over her. Who? Their main proof was that the woman found in the home, despite the height and weight difference, was that they found Belle's bridge work from her dental work in the house. So she'd had a bridge. I don't know if if people don't know what a bridge is. It's connected. It's a piece of metal that goes over the roof of the mouth. It's connected or attached to to two or more teeth in the mouth. And the dentist said that there was no way that it could have been pulled out of the mouth. He knew that it was his work because he had obviously done it. I mean, he testified to that, and he said that she couldn't have pulled it out of her own mouth. It would have been too painful, and so it had to be left by the head, and the head had to have been burned alive. Hmm. I don't, for some reason, something tells me that this psycho could have pulled her own bridge out yeah, of her mouth. Yeah, I was going to say, don't, you're underestimating her You are, again. <laughs> exactly. They are <laughs> underestimating her, for sure. People chop off their own, like, toes Yeah, to be, like, considered dead. Did you watch you? Did you watch the end of season three of you? I have not. Oh. Most people did. And that's that's what happened. So just saying. That's gross. The whole it the whole show's so <laughs> gross. It's good, but gross. That's what I've heard, which is why I haven't oh, watched yeah, it. Oh yeah, no, you'd hate it. You'd hate it. You can't watch it. Yeah. I just know you personally. You'd, yeah. You'd hate it. So obviously they assumed that the head had been burned and that the metal bridge work would have stayed. Okay. Okay. Now, the doctors who testified, that was what the dentist said. Right. The doctors said that it looked like she had not been killed in the fire, mm-hmm. but that she had died of other means, and so had the bodies of her children. So. Makes sense. It's, it's a little bit more complicated. They obviously go into more detail, but that's kind of the gist of what I gathered from their testimony. Isle testified. Some of Ray's lovers testified. Poor Joe Maxson testified. And finally, a verdict was rendered. Ray Lanfear was found guilty of arson, but acquitted of murder. Okay. On November 26th, 1908, he was sentenced to 2 to 21 years, which is a really big difference, um, in the state prison of, in Michigan City, Indiana. He actually died there of tuberculosis the following year. Hmm. A few weeks later, a reverend came forward and said that he had his deathbed confession in his statement, he revealed the details of Gunnis's crimes and swore that she was still alive. He also swore to the reverend, as well as a fellow convict, that he had not murdered anyone. He did say that he helped Bell bury several of her victims. 
This is what he said would go down. He said a man would arrive from one of the letters or the correspondence. Right. She would help him be comfortable. She would charm him. She would get him settled in. And whether he stayed a few days, a few weeks, or just one night, um, she would cook a large meal. She would drug his drink, particularly it tended to be coffee. She would wait until the drugs kicked in, and then she would split his head with, like, a meat cleaver. Oh, my God. Yes. Other times, she would wait for him to go to bed and then enter the room by candlelight and chloroform them, and then cut their head with the meat cleaver. Sorry, I'm processing. (laughs) Ah, okay. So, Ray also cleared up the mysterious question of the headless female corpse that was found. Yeah. Because they found a uterus and a body. Like, they knew it was a woman. Yeah. She had apparently lured a woman who was from Chicago to the house saying that she was going to hire her as a housekeeper. So, the same deal. Yeah. Just, um, just right job. before she decided she was going to leave LaPorte, she brought a woman in conveniently. And according to Ray, had drugged her, hit her over the head, um, dragged the corpse to the basement, put her clothes on it, removed bells. She took her false teeth out, her bridge, and put them beside the corpse to make sure that it would be identified as herself. He said that she chloroformed her children and then smothered them and carried them to the basement. And then she lit the whole place on fire. Lamphere was supposed to wait for her at a designated place when the fire was set, but she never showed up. And instead, she actually like cut across the field and disappeared into the woods. So that was his that was his deathbed confession. And honestly, that's what I believe the truth is. That sounds plausible. Yeah. Um, so Belle's fake body that they assumed was real was buried next to her first husband, Mads, at the time of her death. Oh, my God. In 2007, some of Belle's, like Belle's sister's descendants, of Nellie's descendants, consented to have it moved because they were like, well, that's not her, so that's, like, not okay. Yeah. So I am I am pro that theory. Yeah. Now, I'm going to read a list of her victims because it's longer than you think it is. You might get there, but, like, she disappeared. Did she ever pop back up? I will get there. Okay. So I am going to read this list pretty much verbatim. It's from that um, Legends of America source. I just thought they did a good job of keeping track of everything. I would have forgotten about some of these yeah. people. So, Ole B. Budsberg of Wisconsin le- vanished in May 1907. Thomas Lindbow, remember him. He left Chicago and he was there three years prior and then disappeared. Mm-hmm. Henry Gerholtz of Wisconsin He had actually gone to marry her. They found a watch on the property along with a body. Olaf Svenderhund or Hund or something. I'm butchering it. I'm sorry. Um, From Chicago. Joe Moe, literally his name. Joe Moe. Joe Moe from Minnesota. His watch was also found in Ray's possession. Which, okay. Yep. Olaf Lindblom from Wisconsin. Benjamin Carling of Chicago was actually last seen in 1907 by his wife when he said he was going to go to to Laporte to secure an investment. He had taken um a hundred or not hundred a thousand dollars from an insurance company and he had borrowed money from, 
And in, in June 1908, a year later, his wife was able to identify his remains at the Lahore Cemetery by the contour of his skull and three of his missing teeth. So those were the identified bodies. Here's a list of unidentified bodies and mysteries that would kind of come out later. Some of these are undoubtedly additional victims, and some of them were, like, weird. Okay. Christy Hilkvin of Dorve, Wisconsin, sold his farm and came to Laporte in 1906. Charles Nieberg, um, he was a 28-year-old Scandinavian immigrant who was living in Philadelphia. He told his friends that he was going to go visit a woman named Belle Gunnis in 1906 and never returned. John H. McJunkin from like around Pittsburgh and he left his wife in December after corresponding with a Laporte woman and was never seen of again. Olaf Jensen, a Norwegian immigrant from Indiana, told his relatives he was going to marry a wealthy widow in 1906 from Laporte. Bert Chase of Indiana sold his butcher shop and told friends of a wealthy widow he was going to go find her and apparently his brother had received a telegram from Aberdeen um, the same place that Andrew was supposed to be going, and this late this letter claimed or telegram claimed that Bert had been killed in a train wreck. His brother investigated and found that the telegram was faked. There was a hired man um, named George Bradley of Illinois who was allegedly supposed to have gone to Laporte to meet a widow and her three children in October 1907. Not yet, yeah, 1907. T.J. Teiflin of Minnesota came to see Gunnis in 1907. Frank Reidinger of Waukesha, Wisconsin, came to Indiana in 1907. Emil Till, a Swede from Kansas City, Missouri, was supposed to go to Laporte in 1907. Pretty sure he, he did not die. I'm pretty sure. We're not sure, but okay. he's not one of the people I consider to be a victim. Lee Porter of Bartonville, Oklahoma, separated from his wife and told his brother he was going to wel- to marry a wealthy widow in Laporte. John E. Hunter left Pennsylvania in November of 1907, told his daughters he was going to marry a wealthy widow in northern Indiana. Abraham Phillips, a railwayman out of Burlington, West Virginia, left in the winter of 1907 to go to northern Indiana to marry a wealthy woman. His watch was found in the debris of the house. So... Emil is the only person I don't think on this list. Yeah. Everybody else, perfect to me. Wow. So here's a here's a list of unnamed victims that may have been. There was a daughter of a woman named Mrs. Witzer out of Toledo, Ohio, who had attended a university near Laporte in 1902 who disappeared. An unknown man and woman allegedly disappeared in September in 1906, the same night that Jenny went missing. Gunnis claimed that they were the Los Angeles professor and his wife who had taken Jenny to California. So they weren't professors. It was a random couple that she had found and turned it into this narrative. Gotcha. Um, a brother of a woman named Miss Jenny Graham in Waukesha, Wisconsin, told her that he had left to marry a wealthy woman in Laporte, but he never was heard from again. There was a man in Ohio who was around 50 who he just randomly disappeared. And then suddenly, Bell Gunnis became the heir to his horse and buggy. Hmm. There was a man from Montana who told people he was going to sell Bell Gunnis his horse and buggy. 
he disappeared, but his horse and buggy were found. Well. Yep. That is quite a comprehensive list. (laughs) It's a long list. That is, oh my. Yep. So over the next several decades, Bell was allegedly sighted in various cities over the country. As late as 1931, people thought she was still alive and living in a Mississippi town where apparently she had a great deal of property and she lived as a like important person, like a prominent member of their community. Another person said that in 1931, she may have been arrested as a woman named Esther Carlson, who she was arrested in Los Angeles, California, which is where she said Jenny was going. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was arrested for poisoning a man named August Lindstrom, who was Norwegian-American, and she did it for his money. Two people that knew Bell recognized her from photographs of this event, but the identification was never proven, and she actually died in May of 1931 while awaiting trial for that. So that's my yeah theory, because she also, like, went to LA like she said she was sending her daughter to LA and that aligns Mm -hmm. now as for how much money she got over this whole endeavor she was a very wealthy woman I don't have an actual number for you because there are a few people who have tried to do the math and we get very different numbers but it was definitely in the millions Wow. some people say it was like 1.3 some people say it was as high as like 6.5 so it's Ow. very different depend like and that's that's today's money not yeah that money that's today's I, money I figured yeah. um so she was making quite a bit of money off of this endeavor and that my friends is the full comprehensive story of Belle Gunnis the female bluebeard the butcher of men and hell's princess <laughs> my goodness well thank you Thanks for... I don't even know what to say. Yeah, thanks for holding on. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah. Holy crap. I could talk about this case a lot. It's really interesting, um, and there's actually so much detail considering how yeah. long ago it was. Um, yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks for hanging out. Absolutely. Hopefully you remembered everything from last week. For you guys, it will have been two weeks ago. I think you did a good job on recapping. Yeah, I hope so. I think so. Woo-woo. Well. Good job. Hopefully you guys have a palate cleanser. Go listen to some Harry Styles or something after that because this was rough. But I enjoyed my yes. little mini series. So thanks for letting me indulge. It was a good change of pace. Yes. Now Thank on you. to some um, more current stuff for me. I need a break from the old timey cases. Yeah. Woo-hoo. It's good to change it up every now and then. Yeah. Well, All right. we'll listen, we'll talk, we'll uh, we'll touch base with you next week. Yeah. Reach out to us. Yeah, absolutely. We now always... that we're kind of like getting more actual followers that we see following. Yeah, for a long time we had a lot of listeners, but nobody on like social media. And now we're kind of starting to see it on social media, which is super cool. Yeah. So like, you know, check us out. You can always request cases. There's a link in all of our bios to our link tree where there's a, a Google sheet. You can request cases. Um, I actually got somebody the other day sent us one. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. So we're excited to look into everything. Um, thank you guys so much. And I think that's it. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Yep. See you next week. Till next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at Burden of Proof Pod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com. <laughs>